Hey guys, thanks for tuning in once again. Just want to let you know that if you do hang around after the final song, you get a couple of extra minutes uh, of chat just about the UK clubs, a bit of their history, and some of the Australian players that managed to keep on playing and have long careers after leaving. Enjoy the show. So it's seven metres out. Australia needs to try to win the game. Cobain takes the line out. Australia trying to drive ahead. Regan again, and Larkham, Kefu, Tai Kefu, did he get it? That's the match winner, that is the match winner, Kefu will never score a more important try, and look at the Wallaby players, that is the dream result they wanted, it's a heartbreak for the All Blacks. Archie, Toby and Leo bring another episode of the Running Rugby Podcast at you, and boys... Blood is low too, not quite as amped up after that game at Eden Park. The hoodoo continues, a ghost of 34 years um, of that place haunting the Wallabies there. And were we were we too quick to react to the first game down in Wellington to suddenly think we've got this brand new attitude, this brand new respect, this brand new sort of staying power for the Wallabies to then come out and feel like they, they can't make a tackle on a 21-year-old winger? Yeah, I think we might have focused on a couple of things that weren't going right in the first game and maybe forgotten about the basics a little bit and gone away from our natural game because, I mean, we just couldn't stick a tackle, could we? We we were better at the ruck, we were better at the line-out, but our general plan, our tackling just went out the window and I think we we really suffered after losing to Mel, particularly in the second half where we leaked those you know 17 points and... In my opinion, it could have been a lot worse. This scoreline, 20-point margin, it, it could have been 47-7, I think, if, if things went really badly for the Wallabies. So we did recover a little bit. Um, but, yeah, just a real step down from last week. Um, and, yeah, we need to bounce back in Sydney now. Yeah, we the tackling just wasn't up to scratch. We created fewer opportunities. And, and when we kicked the ball back to them when we were getting a bit stuck, we just gave them more opportunities to come at us. And you miss a couple of tackles. That just means that a couple extra guys have to come out of the out of their position, try and cover the same space, which means you've now left yourself exposed elsewhere. Then the All Blacks, that's just what they do. Like they're just elite mm. at seeing what the opposition uh, are doing and, and seeing the space where it is. And, it, you know, it's hard enough to contain them when everyone's tackling well. If you start missing the same guy with two or three guys like we did. We were hopeless at tackling Caleb Clark and Bowden Barrett um, in stages there at the start of the game. It just created huge gaps out wide. By the time they spread it side to side to side, the the tries they were scoring were four or five on one or two. So clear, clearly outnumbered and just a result of those early errors. Yeah, it didn't feel like they had to do too much special in terms of scoring those tries. It was just holding onto the ball and waiting for the overlaps unlike the week before. Um, is Caleb Clark the next Jonah Lomu? I mean, it's a, it was a great game from him. We didn't see this from the, from him at the Blues, particularly to this extent. We saw him playing well, bumping tackles. You know, he's really come into his own this year, but to kind of tout him as the next Jonah Lomu, one, I mean, he's a lot smaller man than Jonah Lomu. I know he's got some powerful legs on him, but... It is hard to make an impression in this game, in the game these days. I'll give him that. Like it's there's only a few guys out there that really kind of can bump players like he can. And Naira Voro, for example, was one of them. We used to see that from him. Um, who again is a lot bigger guy than than Caleb Clark. But you know, like it's a, it's good that people are excited about young players coming through. It's it's rare to see a performance from someone in their second game to this level. Um, but I think let's see him do it for 10 games and then we can have a conversation about it. But the moment, you know, great, great second game on his part and I'm sure he'll probably be picked for the next couple of games against us. So we've got to really learn how to stop him in his tracks, first tackle mm-hmm. and, and not let him get that ascendancy. Yeah, and I mean, Rennie pointed it out post-game that the tackling obviously just wasn't good enough with a whole load of players making under 50% of their tackle attempts, which is just horrible to see in a game. Um, he's, he's threatened sort of big selection changes 
if he doesn't see improvement sort of over these next sort of two weeks training. There were more changes than we expected coming into this game. So we obviously had Brendan Payanga Mosa coming in for Falau starting at hooker, Falau dropping off um, not even on the bench. Ned Hannigan coming into number six and Samu dropping completely out of the 23. Um, Liam Wright coming onto the bench for Valentini and Patea um, coming on for Noah, which on the bench, which was the one thing we sort of expected, I guess. What were your guys' initial sort of impressions of, of the selection changes? So I was really surprised that they didn't keep the same set of players. Um, we made our cases for a few of the weaker performances, but last week we said these guys have just been involved in what, you know, you know, um, in perspective or in hindsight could have been a historic game. Like, you know, mm. one of the one of the things that triggers a resurgence in, in a team and it's a new cycle, new era. So we, we talked about Samu and Flaufinger being a bit, you know, underperforming. Um, I was surprised that they got replaced. I don't think BPA was... To be honest, probably wasn't any worse than Flaufinger. Um, I thought BPA was pretty good in Super Rugby AU, um, but you know Flaufinger obviously was just absolutely unstoppable in any of that Brumby set piece. So um, I don't actually, I don't think we lost too much there, uh, and I was surprised by Ned Hannigan. Like he, he I think he everyone had, was surprised he got the call up. Yeah, I think a lot. There's a lot of people out there who do do think he's. Um, pretty good like that they're not seeing him as a tier or two below hooper and harry wilson and maybe pete Summer. like that they, they can they can see the value he brings to lineouts. uh we worry about him probably because he's been this you know back rower converted second rower converted back rower like is he really the right fit for a six or a lock um but look in the super obau season again he was um, you know, later in the season when the Waratahs picked up their game, he was one of the players whose form was trending up. He was on the ball. He was aggressive. He's actually surprisingly quick. When he made that break in this game, I was like sort of surprised at the acceleration um, he managed once he broke the line. Like he, he positioned his body well. He, he bumped off the, the poor tackle that was a Joe, Joe Moody, Moody got knocked, knocked out. Knocked him, yeah. knocked him out. Like that's, that's just, you know, making sure all your weight's behind the ball. You're, you're, you're stable. Um, you, you bump the guy off and he's burst through the line and then his thought process to get the ball to Hooper and then be the bigger body on the clear out and contain. Like, that that's intelligent rugby. So uh, I was pleasantly surprised after thinking Samu was a little bit uh, hard, to, hard to spot in the first game. I think Ned, Ned Hanningen definitely did enough to hold his spot in this one, though. I, and I think we talked together about just his uh, coverage in... In tackling, I assume he's not one of the ones who missed a bunch of tackles. I think he missed one. It was one of the, the highest tacklers yeah. in the game, and he I think he only missed one. So many times he was racing back. He, look, Ned was great. I think Ned took his opportunity. Um, he had a yeah, lot of I think penalties Pete against him as well, though. Yeah, there was a couple of times there in the where he's, come around. he's a bit too enthusiastic, and he's guilty of that. Like he does. I don't know if it's when you got blonde locks like that as well. You kind of stand out, and and people do get targeted um, based on things like that. But he's he's in and amongst everything, and so if you're not quite accurate enough in certain contexts, you're going to get penalised. Um, I think he took his opportunity. Pete Samu from the first game, I think a bit unlucky to drop right out of the squad. Yeah, but I think it's just they were looking for someone like Liam Wright from the bench, a bit more on the ball. Um, but I think Samu is, is still someone we need to be considering going forward. It's just unfortunate. I think given his height in the lineout, we're going to suffer a little bit if we play someone like that, that at six. Hannigan, do you keep him going forward? I'm not sure. It really depends on how they want to compose that back row. It's going to be hard to, to see Wilson and Hooper left out of the starting team, so I think six is probably the, the position that's up for grabs at the moment. Um but, yeah, some of these changes, I think, were the right decision. Again, Valentini, you could argue he probably didn't get enough of a look in to, to show really what he's capable of in the first game coming off the bench. Yeah. I think going forward, he still is a viable starting six option. And surely he can be someone that we can use at the line-out too. He's, 
he's got enough height on him. Um, he's a big body there at six, and I think his all-round game is pretty good. It's just maybe he's carrying a niggle. Who knows what what behind the scenes what's going on. Um, but we do have a lot of viable options there in the back row, which is good. It's just coming up with the right balance, I think, um, going forward. And yeah, the good thing is we're playing the All Blacks four games in a row, right? So our approach to playing them shouldn't change too much, I think. We're just finding the right combination at the moment. But then when you move on to Argentina, obviously, it's going to be a different story. The thing that, and I said it to you guys already, um, having our back row finish with Liam Wright coming off the bench for Harry Wilson, and we've just found out more about sort of what Harry Wilson was going through in the days prior to this game. There was sort of a talk of sickness. It sounds like he had an infected cut on his foot with a lot of swelling and spent some time in hospital even to get himself right for this game. So they probably weren't expecting to sub him off at the half. Um, but having a back row of Wright, Hannigan and Hooper, I don't think is what you want when you're competing with Kane, Savia and Frizzell. Yeah, I think you lose too much ball-carrying ability. He'll, Wilson bears a lot of that load generally for the Reds and, and now probably the Wallabies going forward. Because we see Hooper doesn't carry as much as he used to. Um, and obviously Hannigan had that good carry in the game and he, he's capable, but he's not the most dynamic six out there. Um, Frizzell's probably someone who can out-carry Hannigan in a game. I think Hannigan's probably more of your set-piece and defensive-minded pick in some ways. Uh, so, yeah, it's it, it's difficult for me to say who should be picked there at six. I'm glad Harry Wilson's back at eight. I think that's a good decision. And we still need to see a full game from him at number eight to see how he actually, you know, changes the way he plays. Maybe he roams a bit wider in those channels and mm. can create some more destruction there with his size. Uh, who would you guys be picking at six going forward? Like, do you have an, an ideal person you'd like to see there on a, a long-term basis if you had Hooper and Wilson alongside them? I know who Leah's going to say. Yeah, well, Leah's going to say Liam Wright. I've advocated <laughs> Liam Wright before, but do we think, to put it to you guys, do we think Liam Wright is enough of a ball carrier? Because, again, point I've made before, I think Hooper, while he excels and is elite at certain parts of the game, like not having him as a ball carrier, not having him as an option, uh, I think hurts us. You, you would have seen how many times Sam Kane carried the ball for the All Blacks on the weekend. And you know Shannon Frizzell and Artie Sevier did their share. Sam Kane had probably four or five hit-ups as well and made ground. And I just don't think Hooper gets used that way. And maybe that's a problem. Maybe that's more of a strategic and um, and sort of game-planning problem because there's no reason why Hooper can't carry the ball. You, j- you just can't use him like a blunt instrument like you do with some of the sixes and eights. So you've got to find ways to integrate him to, you know, the inside ball um, just off the ruck. Like as an alternative to a snipe, you get Nick White to, to step off the ruck and and when there is space, and then you get Hooper darting through. Like there's ways to get carries into him, which, you know, take a bit of time and, and give your other guys a break and let them be the support players. But um, certainly if you pick someone at six who isn't a strong ball carrier as well, uh, I think you're definitely creating a disadvantage for the Wallabies. And do we like Liam Wright? He's he's not as big as some of the other sixes. Um, I think his technical skills are very good. I think his lineout skills are very good. I think he's a good leader, a good communicator. Um, maybe a little bit overawed in his first game when he when he came on. He he just looked a little bit less than sharp. He he got the ball ripped out um, at, at a fairly crucial time. Like that's disappointing, but. Um, look, he'll be better for the experience. I, I don't know if you can start him at six. I, I honestly think Hannigan for now, um, between Hannigan and, and I was happy with Samu. Like, I think well, <laughs> one game one game data point isn't a lot to go yeah, off. Yeah. So yeah. it's very That's hard to judge someone on one game. I, th- I think either of those two can do the mm-hmm. job. I'm not ready to go all the way to a, a Lockie Swinton. Um, the guy who you might think of, but it wasn't even picked in the squad, is Jack Dempsey. That's the guy who could mm-hmm. probably take this spot yeah. because he is on the ball he's a ball runner uh and he was coming into good form but he didn't even get a look in um so it is, it is and hannigan was you know swinton and hannigan we thought would be picked 
after Jack Dempsey in the Wallabies. That's start. right. You, you look at the we guys you're missing when you've got a an, an unwell Harry Wilson and you don't have Nicerani, and then you've got a bit of a mullet yeah. six, and they they clearly haven't decided between one and two games what what they wanted, and they had to reinforce the lineup. But what did they lose? Jack Dempsey was a pretty good fit for everything, and I mean those yeah. two guys are surprised to be left out, and I think it maybe think, shows a little bit now. Yeah, I, I'm not sure exactly what Rennie's reasons are for leaving both those guys out, but I'd love to see Nicerani at six. I think that would be incredible. And maybe you'd lose a bit, you know, on the defensive side or the the work rate side. I'm I'm not sure, but you definitely would lose. You definitely would lose hit ups. Incredible mm. with just Wilson Nicerani and Nicerani just up. Hitting, punching it up. Yeah. So, I think, lots of questions there. I think you can have someone like Liam Wright in your six sort of role, but it does mean that you, the way you're playing the whole game is a little bit different because we saw Liam Wright and we've seen Harry Wilson in the Wallabies um, and do it for the Reds as well, where they range wide. They sort of work as that person just one inside from the winger almost as sort of your bigger player out wide and they have the hands and skills to um, create something or be an extra man and support. So it's almost like, if you're doing it something that way with those dynamic sort of runners that are a bit more rangy, you keep them wide, you pack sort of your big men through the centre, whether that's second rowers or just using your hit-up men as, in the centres as more of your carriers there, and then you're sacrificing them being in the back line for sort of your back rowers being there um, and using them with their good handling out wide. But that is a different way of playing, and that isn't how the Wallaby setup has looked so far other than having Harry Wilson out on that right edge with um, Dalguna. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, Arch. I hadn't really thought of it that way before, but if, if you don't have like a real hard ball running 12, if you have gone the second playmaker route, um, someone's got to pick up that slack and it's probably your back row. So therefore, you know, if we're using Tamua, Tamua has the odd hit up, you know, just, hmm. you know, testing the line, setting setting the the expectations really of the defense like the 12 is going to run and he's going to run straight and hard but he doesn't do it all game he's much more of a we end up with almost a leaguey halves style with a, a pivot out either side at times so um who's picking up that slack it's 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 in the back row or it's at 12 and and with our current setup although we'll see what happens this next uh next game um with our current setup you, you really need some ball carrying now well, in that back row well let's 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 talk about this tamua Heard his groin in this game, tried to, sort of did it on a kick, felt it, tried to play through, I think made one more tackle and was just then saying, no, can't can't go on. We now got stuck in this situation where we lost our backup 10, I guess to say. Um, on our bench, we didn't have an extra flight half since Noah getting dropped, so ended up going for the Paisami moving into 12, Patea coming into 13. What are your thoughts, first off, on how these guys handled that um, during this game and then going forward in that 12-13 rock? I don't think they handled it particularly well in the second half, and that's when we obviously leaked the most points. I think it took us some time to adjust to not having Tamur there, particularly, as I was saying, from a defensive... I think more from a defensive point of view. I think we just lost our structure in defense because he wasn't there directing people around and probably assisting Hunter a little bit. Um, Hunter is a very capable de- defender, but I think he, he does have a tendency to rush up as well, and when he gets that wrong, we get into trouble. Um, and then when, um, obviously, with uh, Patea there, I still think he's learning the ropes a bit at 13. So it's it's a problem maybe going forward if we don't have someone that's as capable as 12 um, controlling us in defence. I think Simone would be really good in terms of unlocking the back line from an attacking sense. But I think you do need someone pretty strong there at 13 if you're going to play Simone. Which I think for the Brumbies, you, TK was that you, person. What do you mean strong there? Because Simone's not a, what, ball runner? or Experience. No, no, I mean, I mean more in defence with the experience. And experience. I think you need a defensive stalwart at 13 if okay. you're going to play... Simone at 12, because he's more of an attacking-minded player. don't think his strength is in defense. I'm not saying he's incapable. Whereas Hunter Paisami, I think, is 
more of a defensive player in some respects. Um, and Patey is an attacking player. So ideally, you'd probably like to keep Hunter there at 13 from a defensive point of view, but I just don't see it. I think Patey needs his opportunity. Um, but it's, it's a risk. And not having Tamua there at 12, I think bringing in Patey and having an inexperienced 12 really, I think, gives the All Blacks potential to really disrupt our back line. Um, but who else do you go to? Do you put Jock there at 12? Do you put Noah back into 10? You start playing around in that respect. I, I don't think that's the option either. either. I think you need a specialist 12. Yeah, I, I'd be advocating that Simone gets his opportunity. Um, obviously, with that change, make as few other changes as possible. I don't want to see James O'Connor moved into 12 where we have... I think we've seen him there only when Reds lost players and Hegarty came in and albeit that little combination worked all right. But it's just another change where, you know, they would never, if, if they lost um, Jack Goodhue, the All Blacks would never move Moanga into 12 and put Bowden at 10. It's just not saying they do. They have reserves, they rely on them, they're developing specialist guys. So given what we've said, uh, which I agree with, that, that Simone is a little bit more attack, but, you know, he's a good, clean, accurate passer. He has a range of kicks in his repertoire, which which will suit the All Blacks, who are very um, they sh- they show a lot of variety in their defensive structure. So they'll they'll pressure you when they think that's what's on. They'll they might leave you a kicking opportunity and and, and test whether you've got uh, the right touch to put in the sort of short, medium, long range territorial kicks. Um, I would like to see Simone in there, and then yeah, let's keep things um, sort of stable. Paisami not only looking inside but looking outside like he's probably developing a bit more of a relationship with Banks and with Daogunu which he already has and with Marika um, that that can continue and give Patea maybe I'd give him another go off the bench I'd leave the bench as is um, fearing a little bit that I guess if you don't put a 10 on the bench that potentially you end up with Reese Hodge coming in and, <laughs> and playing a bit of 10 um, you know certainly not the worst choice but um you know that's a definitely a big compromise to not take a 10 in and and hope that hodge can fill the gap if he has to um, I, I don't want to change too much and, and let the structures fall apart because i also think we haven't utilized particularly in this second game we didn't utilize dalgunu and marika anywhere near as much as well, we could have that was the next thing i was gonna bring up because dalgunu still had a few times where it looked a bit threatening but both of those guys had very very poor I think they were the two worst sort of tackle percentage completions in the team and there's been calls and thoughts around whether Corabidi manages to keep his spot in this team oh, come on if, if, if people are down if, on Corabidi it's because they haven't down seen down. him do anything because if so you're only standing there and attack so many tackles so he scored, he's obviously as, scored, but then he obvious, but then he didn't manage to convert that second. I think attempt. that's really harsh. He had a bad, bad game. This guy doesn't put two bad games together very yeah. often. And Not we didn't give him enough involvement. Yeah, look, he dropped the ball, and that's uncharacteristic of him. He missed some tackles because he goes so hard at players, and yeah, he was guilty of bouncing off like half the you know half the team. The Wallabies, like and screwing up. Dalguna did the same thing. I think Dalguna was worse. Um, I think that's really harsh for people to call for him to be taken out of the team. He's he's one of the first guys I'd be picking in the Wallabies week to week. Uh, my my fear is that Banks is gone. I think he hasn't done enough with his opportunities. So I could easily see DHP coming in for the third game, which you I don't DHP. I don't Is like that. that. First, I, that yeah, part? I think I think DHP might get an opportunity to see whether he can still offer that. You know, you know how he, he can break the line with his lateral on the back. footwork. Banks just you expect him to do more from the back when he has those opportunities to run. He seems to get chopped down earlier than he should, um, so Banks, and that's Banks not the up. case for the Brumbies. Banks pulls up and he and he like he looks for his gap and then he takes his pace. Yeah, he does his little shimmy and then sort of jabs forward again and it just doesn't do him any favors. It just takes all his momentum out and and he should just like Caleb Clark did, pick a gap between a couple of players that look a bit tired to run hard at it and see what develops in front of you. But Bowden does that too. He does like a little shimmy often and 
this is this is the 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 comparison between Latham and Banks is strong, but Latham would jump out of a few tackles and you'd be like, Oh, this guy's awesome. Yeah. But Banks, Banks hasn't, hasn't done that at the top level. And so I don't think Banks gives you many much uncertainty as a defense. Him? Yeah, he made a few I think like the try they scored where Patea fell over, Banks was in the right position. That was Patea's fault. Um, but I'm not sure he's the strongest cover defender. I think DHP probably outdoes him in that respect. I just think attacking wise, we're taking a step back going to DHP. Yeah. But we think we're we're looking for answers here, and Banks hasn't done much that's striking to the eye. I think Dalgunu and Korobidi, they've both done bad and good things in these two games. If you're going to drop one of them, it has to be Dalgunu, I think. Though I'd you can drop Korobidi. Maybe you could put Patea on the wing for Dalgunu. I'm not sure it's going to make much difference. I think those three, the back three, probably deserve another game. Whether they're going to get it under Rennie's expectation, you've almost got to bring perfection every game or he's going to get rid of you. That's kind of what he stated already, that he wants you to be playing the highest level. If you drop off, you're going to, you're going to have someone take your spot. It's a brand new world, this Wallabies team, a brand new world. Yeah, well, Jackie used to just pick his favourites. And people would get upset at that because their form didn't demand it often. Um, people were a lot less upset when Rennie picks Hannigan compared to when Checker picks Hannigan. But, you know, Hannigan repaid the faith a little bit. I think Rennie's going to be quite ruthless, but you can't re-pick half the team. I think you might might make another three or four changes. Um, but I think that's as far as you can go. Well, you're not going to build those combinations at all. Mm. I mean, we can have another talk about what things are going to happen next week. We might even delay that episode till we have a starting lineup to talk about. But the other thing that I don't think we've mentioned yet, um, we sort of highlighted last week that South Africa wasn't thinking about being there for the rugby championship this year or maybe missing half of it. And we're confirmed we don't have a rugby championship this year. We've gone back. We're, we've gone back to a Tri-Nations tournament. And I do have to say, I, I love that they've brought out the old logo and just rebranded the green as blue in the Tri-Nations and just said, yep, it's what it is again. <laughs> but that's it. It's a two games against the All Blacks and um, two games against the Pumas now. That's what you have. It's a huge a huge blow for the the rugby championship in Australia. It would have been great for the Australian economy, for yeah, rugby itself in Australia. And that's huge blow. And I know, it's frustrating because the Springboks they would have known how much preparation they would have had a month or two ago when they agreed to this schedule. And now they've left it to the last minute to say, oh, we're, we're not getting on that flight on Saturday. We'll, we're actually pulling out now. Like, it's left us in a very awkward spot here. Mm. And all we can do is adjust and just say, okay, we play the teams that we have. And it's just, it doesn't feel like, obviously it's not a full competition. It doesn't feel as official as it should now. Um Almost lucky that the Bledisloe has had quite a good start, um, you know, to to the whole rugby international rugby season here. Because if the All Blacks had come out and smashed us in the first two games, and then South Africa pulls out, like, what's the interest like of, in rugby in Australia? It's pretty low. Yeah. So I think we've had a decent start from a Wallabies perspective. Rugby in Australia, there'll be people turning out for these games, but it is very disappointing that South Africa now, I think won't play a test until mid next year or something like yep, it's so not till gonna be almost two years tour. yeah which is a huge issue for them i think i think you know they would have been a bit undercooked coming into this but now they're going to have no opportunities to play top sides before they face you know what is always a strong british and irish Lions team and the counterpoint the the south africans like argentina got on the front foot they've come across they've been through the uh, quarantine phase they're they're prepared and they're enthusiastic about these games so yeah great to have them because again the, the bled is low in four games and done would be a very bleak um, sort of international season of rugby for Australia when we're trying to um, boost the profile around the country and um, I guess I'm, I'm disappointed mostly I I was really looking forward to getting getting round to one of those double headers like you just don't yeah. get to see that even at a world cup they don't do double headers. They they spread not the to that quality. That's right, and I mean, just when I, I was thinking we'd probably try and get to a 
um, you know, Australia, South Africa, New Zealand, Argentina or something, um, one of those combinations. And, and now it's a bit sad, but as it plays out, um, I think they've, they've made the most of what they can. Uh, New Zealand has, has leveraged a little bit, uh, made sure that they're not playing the final game. So they're going to be home well and truly for Christmas now. So get, how hope, good for them. Hope their families Amazing. have high expectations because they're going to have at least two weeks to get it all sorted. Um, we've got our two games versus New Zealand, and then we get a break. So we, we get a week to prepare for, uh, or two weeks really, to prepare for the first Argentina game and then another week off. So sort of the two games against New Zealand, then a fortnight in a game and a fortnight in a game. And, you know, I would be expecting pretty big things out of the Wallabies. Surely have some advantage over Argentina off the back of less preparation, less competition. Um, those those two games could be really exciting. There's going to be one up in Newcastle, John, at McDonald Jones Stadium on the 21st of November, and then the only December game will be back down here at Parramatta, uh, Australia versus Argentina. So, um, look, those those two games, hopefully we, we throw caution to the wind, we bring in all the new blood. These are the sorts of games where maybe you do see Lalesio start... You, you do try a few different things. Um, whatever happens with the Bledisloe, there's, there's nothing to lose on these ones. You have to think as well that is this slight punishment from South Africa given what's happened with Super Rugby and how we've just, you know, ultimately excluded them without really consulting them on that. I feel like it's a bit of blowback from that and also combined with the fact of the level of rugby in the first Bledisloe, they would have watched that and gone... Jesus, we're going to get absolutely hammered here if we go over underprepared. I think yeah, there's been a couple of factors in that, but, but I, yeah. You got... I think they'd be afraid of losing face, losing sort of... Um, and they're the world champions, state. you've got to remember yeah, as well. So that's right. Straight off the World Cup to come out, they get their, their butts handed to them by maybe Australia, definitely, I would think, New Zealand. <laughs> um, and, you know, and imagine if they got upset by Argentina and they look back and they go, we really weren't prepared for any of this. It's yeah. it's a bit of a stain on them, and I think they're you know obviously a very proud nation. I, I think part of that weighs into that decision. I don't know about the the Sands player stuff. Player welfare. Like, I mean, come on. Yeah. And most of their players play in Europe. They've That's, already been playing. That was the, what exactly what I wanted to say. Like half their players of their team have been playing in the UK, so they're not exactly underperforming. Oh no no yeah just so just you know let's time together. Did, any, any excuse, I guess. When, if if you're most worried about losing the respect or the, um, you know, mar- tarnishing your reputation in this little period, because think about it again. Like they've just won a World Cup. They were definitely the best team. They were, you know, methodical in the way they won that. They've still got a young enough group that a lot of those guys will be around for the next four years. Do they want to have this nice little golden period where potentially they go back to back, or do, are they are they too? Uh, afraid that they will somehow undo the good work and and cop a setback for participating. I, but the I don't think they is, should be. But the thing I don't is think they should be. But it, can, you, they can just point yeah, to that right. and be like, "Look, oh, right. obviously we we were underdone because we haven't had enough rugby this year," and that's a fine excuse. If they come out next year versus the Lions and they look terrible, yeah, it's like, well, well they might they might regret this decision. And Archie and I talked about. Does this indicate anything towards South Africa going and joining the Six Nations? So I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think the nations up here are going to welcome them into the system, knowing how strong they are. And they could just win it year after year with the level of talent they have. I don't think, you know, the Northern Hemisphere don't want to see that. I think Pro Pro 16 or whatever it's going to be, is a different thing because it's club competition and it brings them into the the Champions Cup, the European Champions Cup system, which I think has a lot of money flowing through it. Yeah. Um, and obviously same time zone, so that makes sense. But from a from a championship point of view in terms of internationals, I think the Six Nations, you know, it's not perfect and Italy is still struggling within that and maybe you look at bringing in other countries Going forward, I don't think South Africa is one of them. I think the rugby championship, the integrity of that needs South Africa. And I think this is not an indication of how things are going to be going forward because you can't have a tri-nations again with these three countries. It's just not enough. You'd have to start bringing in. If you lost South Africa, you'd have to bring in Japan. You'd have to bring in Fiji or something. There would be a whole 
I think, massive change to, to the rugby championship if Safri were to leave. Yeah, and I don't, I don't think that that's going to happen because, as you said, I think the, the teams that they've broached and brought in for this Eight Nations tournament with Georgia and Fiji um, is much more likely of the people they're going to look to try and include in the future. Um, Georgia, obviously, yeah, Georgia. from location. Fiji, partly because so many of their team and players are based out of France and they've run out their training camps out of the UK and France in previous years as well. Um, mm. But yeah, I don't. I, I think it's a little bit calmer in the fact that, I mean, the Springboks um, and South Africa are talking about pulling out of Super Rugby for years and years and then when we go out and sort of do our own thing in Super Rugby, they get a bit sad about it. And then they call their own Super Rugby tournament Super Rugby Unlocked, which I've watched a few highlights of some games and the, the quality of rugby has not been amazing, to say the least, at this stage. Um, but hey, it's the second round of their competition. And every, I think all I mean, of us South African, If you looked at Super Rugby in the historical context, you know, South African derbies were some of the worst games. You know, you get the rare game where it's really high scoring with some of those Lions teams in the last five years. But overall, look, it's a pretty dour affair when it comes to two South African teams playing each other. How would you compare it to, say, the Western Force versus the Waratahs or the Rebels in our comp arch? Like, there were some slightly dire-looking times, but, you know, even the even the Rebels and, and, those, uh, and those bad days with the Waratahs early on, would, you know, there's still something there for us. That's I think true. that's. And I'm sure if you I mean, are a local fan of it, yeah. yeah, there are probably players coming through that that are exciting to watch. But from an international like, sort of point of view, yeah. and to try and shop your teams to the Pro 14, Pro 16, um, it's not a great advertising sort of basis of showing what what your teams can put on. And I I have no doubt that. You know the the bulls, the stormers, like the sharks. These teams are gonna make ripples in the pro fourteen, pro sixteen, like pro rugby. They they're gonna challenge teams like Munster and Leinster, and it's obviously, like I said, gonna feed into European Cup competition. So they're gonna get to play teams like Saracens, Russing, you know, all these big clubs, Montpellier. They're all gonna start playing each other, which is gonna be fascinating, I think, and that's something that probably the Southern Hemisphere needs to get going as well. If we're not... I don't see us playing separate Super Rugby competitions forever. Like, I think that's proposed for next year, having the EU and the Aotearoa set up. But if it were to be that way, you need some sort of playoff for, you know, the the region kind of champion, regional club champion. Because the European Cup has come a long way in the last 10 years, and it generates a lot of revenue. It's another whole you know, stream of, of revenue for rugby, um, which the Southern Hemisphere really doesn't have. You know, obviously we have Super Rugby or we have had it, but it's not, it's almost like the Champions League is the tier between what Super Rugby would be in international. Like it's almost got that premier tier to it. Yeah. Um, so I think that's something we've got to look at in the future and that'll come hopefully with expansion into Asia where you have a lot more money coming in from, you know, private investment and things like that. The tough bit with that, though we've seen New Zealand talk about it as well as as saying they want to aspire to having this other cup, but it's more the sequencing of of the competitions and the seasons because the Northern Hemisphere have all their games running in parallel, don't they? Like their competitions, they can then spin out into this competition. It's quite disruptive. It's quite disruptive, actually. Like you have two weeks of premiership rugby in the uk and then you have a week off where everyone's playing european football and then you go back to playing but at least they're in their season so it's not like drawing japan's two best teams from their club rugby yeah you know, that's four, an issue. five six months out of their season when they're really you know the completely different setup yeah, which is probably it's a conversation for another day in terms of unifying logistics. a global rugby season yeah. you think the, what about the biggest thing standing in the way of that is obviously weather is a factor but moving say the six nations into a different part of the year that's going to be very difficult to do from a perspective up here people are less willing to change on that but they're used to going to games in february if you try and put it in september or something i was was more thinking like you you play 
if if these competitions end up being a bit more siloed, but then you can get together uh, teams in other competitions from South Africa, from um, South America, from other competitions in Asia, like you potentially get the top eight or the top 12 um, from somewhere. And yeah, you might be able to get Japan into that, but you know, there's, there's only so much you can do. You've got to be realistic. And and these competitions are played at the time of year for a reason. The six nations is only really, it's, it's the outlier. That's somehow the bigger comp that's played before the club comp that doesn't make a whole lot of sense really. Oh, it's played. It's strange. It's played right in the middle almost. Is it now? I thought it was played beforehand. Well, it's getting confusing this year, but when it's played in February, March. Yeah, it's sort of in the middle. So it's like the conclusion to the domestic season. Rugby for the mid season, um, the June internationals, June winter test. Because I think the club competitions come to a head in April, May. So you you are stopping club. Or actually, to be honest, I think some of the games go ahead without those international players, which again is an issue. Um, I don't think I, that's ideal at all. So I think that's why there's an argument to, for that to be moved, to maybe align with the rugby championship. But I, playing rugby through the summer here, when people are away, when people are doing different things, I don't think it... People don't see that as an ideal situation. Whereas globally, obviously, it'd make a lot of sense if you could align, align those everything. seasons. Yeah. That, w- that would actually be great from a viewer, viewer's perspective but domestically in the UK for example I think people would have a problem with it so anyway it's something to, to keep monitoring we're going to see a lot of changes and maybe they'll be accelerated due to COVID because there's there's time to disrupt things when when um, yeah when we lose that structure to, to mm. seasons you know you can try new things so no no international rugby to play this weekend, but we do have um, the UK competition coming to a head. Uh, I think scheduled is the Wasps versus Exeter, who obviously won the Champions Cup last weekend versus um, Racing. Um, but there's been a bit of a controversy, Tobes. Your, your Wasps might not get on the park, it sounds like. Yeah, well, the cases here are just spiking in the UK on COVID side of things and. We saw this happen with South Sharks. They had an outbreak of COVID within their ranks and they weren't able to play their last round of fixtures, which pretty much eliminated them from the top four. And there is a risk that Wasp could be you know, threatened with the same outcome here. If, I don't know what's, what the plan is if they can't actually take part in this. Um, well, it sounds like I don't know the situation the with the number of Bristol players. Bears to come play the final instead. I mean, I can't see how that's how that's appropriate, but I mean, what do you do? You, you lose a final. Um, it's very unfortunate. Do you just give Exeter the title or do you just look at who was well, top of the table that's a big question. If you go, regular season, which was Exeter as well. If, you, if so, you decide to play the final, which obviously they want to play the game, either from just the players and financial point of view, but then if you sub in Bristol Bears into it and they win, do they suddenly having... <laughs> And they suddenly yeah, having the option of getting knocked out in the semis to then becoming the premiers. You got to play for something. Uh, it's a dead rubber. It doesn't seem right, though. I mean, I feel like Exeter Chiefs are going to still be partly hungover from their celebrations after winning the Champions Cup. But yeah, it's it's an odd situation. Do you just push back the game a couple of weeks so these guys can get healthy yeah. and? And things can You've get only back got on a couple of weeks, so and the Eight Nations there. is coming up, and a lot of these players are involved. Yeah, well, well, you do have Ireland playing Italy this weekend in a catch-up game for the the current Six Nations, so that that's going on as well. And then for Halloween, you have obviously we have the Bledisloe, the third Bledisloe, and then in the afternoon UK time, you have. England playing Italy, I think. You have Scotland, Wales, and you have Ireland versus France in the so afternoon this... here. So there's some good games coming up as well, but you're right. So wait, is that is that and eight nations or the... is that catch-up games from no, no, the sorry, six that's, nations? That's six nations 2020. Oh, Jesus. So yeah. Why so are this they is, trying to finish that competition? There's four games left. Well, no one's a clear winner at the moment. It looks like England will take it because they've got one game to spare and they're playing Italy. Um, Ireland could potentially win it, I think, if England were to lose. But 
it's very unlikely. So that hasn't been settled yet. So you've got a case where four games are being played from back in February, March when the season was put on hold, and then you'll move into that. What I think they're calling the autumn international competition with the eight nations. And then I think, you know, domestic competitions get going in. And then you got the Six Nations 2021 penciled in for, so for February, more March. So they're yeah. having three Pretty competitions much. within the space in like of like four months. Four months. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I mean, it's lots of rugby. I'm not unhappy with that. Lots of stuff to catch yeah. up on. But Which is probably know gone under the radar. For. You know, people aren't really keeping track with that in the Southern Hemisphere, I don't think. And, I mean, Ireland playing Italy... I mean, Sounds like it's, it's hard enough in the Northern Hemisphere conclusion. to keep track. I'm telling you, there's, because there's a lot going on with internationals, European rugby and domestic rugby, sometimes it can get a bit confusing as to what's going on. We had that problem occasionally with Super Rugby. Eh? You'd have to put it on hold and then you'd bring it back and there'd be a real loss of momentum. Yeah. Um, and I think that's that's teams suffer from that here. Or just playing with half their team out. Because teams like Leinster and Munster lose guys to the the national team absolutely and they just got to make up the numbers and that's why the squads here are so big that's why sometimes they're 50 60 people Mm. in a squad because it's just necessary when they lose those guys but yeah it's um look let's see what happens you just don't know at the moment you've had i think wales is going into a two-week lockdown pretty much northern ireland is i think ireland's going into a four-week lockdown so there's a lot going on here in terms of COVID and things can get disrupted, you know, week to yeah, week. You can just can so quickly. So it's definitely a completely different situation to what we've got in Australia and New Zealand where things are under control, relatively under control. And you have fans of games, like you have quite a lot of normality there. Whereas in Europe, it's still, these things are kicking off again here. You know, 21,000 new cases yesterday in the UK. So you can yeah. see... Yeah. You know, Australians are concerned about, say, Victoria, where you've got two new cases in a day, and we're clocking 20,000 a day here, and no one's really batting an eyelid. It's just like, oh, yeah, it's getting a, it's getting a bit worse now. So many. <laughs> yeah. Well, there was projected 50,000 new cases a day by mid-October if, if things didn't change, and there's been slight restrictions here, but obviously it hasn't done enough. So we're, we're still struggling up here, and I think... There's definitely potential for a full lockdown across the UK again, which could disrupt things further. So keep an eye out for that. Lots of time indoors to watch um, live sport then. So hopefully hopefully that manages to keep Yeah, if going. you got sport going. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. All right, boys, we may leave it there. Um, we will get back to this next week. And as I said before, I think we'll, we'll wait a bit later and we'll actually wait till these squads come out to fully give you an in-depth um, evaluation. So look for... Um, um, pod to come up next week Thursday night or early Friday I think uh, we'll see that coming together till then make sure you're keeping a close eye on our social media accounts Facebook Instagram at running rugby podcast and on Twitter at running rugby pod uh, make sure you have press up that subscribe button make sure you're putting it on if you're stuck at home working from home for hours on end it's best to listen to a couple of fools blather on about um, a sport that hopefully people are still caring about in these um, interesting times. Until then, tune into some Northern Hemisphere rugby. See if the Wasps make it on the field, or we get a weird situation where the Bears manage to take that um, Premiership final. As well as you get to see Ireland, Italy. We'll see. We'll see. Anyway, boys, thanks for coming in. We'll see you next week. Keep on running. Run. Team Bristol Arch or Bath? Um, I like. I Bath. think your team's Bath. Yeah, I liked Bath. Toby, you told me when Bristol Bears started existing that I should go for them, and I told yeah, you no, thank you. There was heaps of investment into them because they changed their branding. They were just Bristol Rugby Club or some shit, and then someone bought them and rebranded the whole thing and bought like Pat Lamb in, Stephen Luatua, yeah. Charles Pietau. Like they spent so much money. Now they've got Rod 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 R
They got a sick team. Yeah, maybe they were fourth, third. Oh, actually, no, maybe they must have lost to Wasps because that's why they would come in for this game, right? Wasps came second. Yeah, maybe they were third. Yeah. Anyway, they're, they're a sick team. Like, it's funny because 10 years ago, I think Exeter were playing in the second division because there's relegation here, or there was. I mean, Saracens are getting relegated because they broke the salary cap. Yeah, yeah. So they started off with, like, negative 60 points or whatever. Um, they would have been in the top four had they not had that points deduction. But they're going down. But Exeter came from nowhere in the second division and got you know, someone invested into them and bang, they come to the top division. Now they've been in the last, like, three out of four finals or something. They beat Wasps, actually, when I came in 2017 and went to the final. Nick White? Was, yeah. Well, Dave Dennis, Nick White, who was there, Greg Holmes was there, but he's gone back now. But Dave Dennis is still going. Good old Dave Pretty Dennis. Crazy. He's got, like, can you believe that? He's... I mean, he won with the Waratahs in 2014. He was like Didn't Sydney Uni guy in 2012, yeah. 2010, whatever, and then he wins with Waratahs, and now he's he's done well. It's weird though. It's, it's like I, I look at I look at like Stade Francais or whoever who Tolu Tolu Latu plays for. Yeah. Anyway, and then you got like Tyler Gray who was playing for the Waratahs in like 2010 or something at number eight, like still fucking playing and shit, like. All these guys that couldn't cut it at super rugby level and come to Europe and just like have like 200 game careers here. It's ridiculous. It's a bit like. Or like, this... remember that halfback, Ben Meehan? He, he was like, he's starting for like London Irish most of the time with Phipps. Mm. These guys just disappear from like Southern Hemisphere and you don't even know they're just still playing up and here. And some of them, some of them are probably still only like reserve grade for us but like others turn into something more and it's just frustrating when that yeah. potential goes 